Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind You podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey with my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career and adjusting to stay-at-home mom life, to help other women with their motherhood journeys or their work-life balance journeys so they can let go and make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. If you are a regular listener here, thank you so much for taking the time to tune back in for another episode. But if you're new, welcome, welcome. I'm excited to have you here as well. And thank you for giving it a chance and checking it out to see what one of a kind you has to offer. So the way this podcast usually works is that I share a journal entry of mine from about five or six years ago when I was in the thick of the struggle. And I reflect on what I know now as a certified life coach and what I wish I had known then. But today, we have a guest with us. Her name is Karen Seitz, and I hope I'm saying her last name correctly. It's Seitz, but it's good. (laughs) I was close. And um, I was just going to go with Karen, but I was like, no, I think I got it. So I'm going to go for it. Um, Seitz, Karen Seitz. And she is the happiness mentor. And I thought she would be great to have on One of a Kind You because she had something that she calls the 30s struggle. And as we were chatting before this episode started, I was like, yeah, I think I had mine in my mid-20s. But then the more I did the math in my head, I was like, oh, I actually had a 30s struggle too. And so um, when I was going through the thick of it, I was like, it's totally a quarter-life crisis. And if you listen, you know I'm all about self-help books. So there I was at the library trying to find a book about quarter-life crisis and how to get through it. But ladies, you don't have to do that because we have Karen with us today. So she's going to help us get through the struggle without going to the library to look for the book. Because guess what? In all the searching, there was only one book on a quarter-life crisis. So so let me save you this struggle. And we're just going to go right to the source. So Karen, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of One of a Kind You. Thanks for having me, Kim. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So you're the happiness mentor Mm -hmm. and that came to be because of your 30 struggle. It did very much. Yes. So about, I guess I was about 25. So very much in that quarter life, please, Kim. I had a very self-destructive start to my twenties. I was a very rebellious teenager um, yeah, yes. can like, you can't see the, the video recording. I'm like over here raising my hand, like, yes, me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I was very rebellious. Bless my parents. Um, they didn't know what to do with me. Cause at the same time I was rebellious. I also tried to like be a good rebel. Yeah. Um, and wasn't, you know, I, I was very covert in my re- rebellion and oh, always, I was over all you were over. Yeah. Yes. I was like very sneaky, tried to pretend everything was fine, tried to like be good in some areas. And, um, that very much followed me into my Mm twenties and I had a very self-destructive start to my twenties. I got into drugs. Um, Mm -hmm. I was very, uh, promiscuous, uh, and very lost. And so about 25 is when I realized I needed help. Yeah. And you know what? I think so many people go from teens to twenties in that very same way Mm -hmm. um, because I was the same way. So like I left the high school boyfriend at 21. And so that's where my rebellion was. It was to be with this boyfriend in high school. And my parents said we couldn't be together anymore. And I didn't want to be with him, but I didn't know how to say to my parents, you're right. This relationship is abusive. It's awful. And I hate every second of it. Instead, I took the approach. um, I'm 16. I'm an adult and you can't tell me what to do. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so leaving that relationship at 21, I mean, I had been with him 
um, since I was 15 until I was 21. And so leaving at 21, then you're this person, you're an adult and you have all this programming that tells you no one's going to want to be with you. You're ugly. Your body's disgusting. And you can legally drink now instead of doing those things that you were doing at 15, 16, 17, like you, you can, you can do it now without getting in trouble. And so same, I was like on this quest at one twenty-one to prove to the world that, um, I would have a boyfriend and that I could do, like, I could do whatever I wanted to do and no one could stop me, especially him. I was like, you know, it was the big fat F you, like whatever you said to me, whatever you did to me wrong, like, cause look at me now. So I think it's a normal journey for most people, but I think we don't talk about it enough and we keep it so hidden Uh, that often we think like, oh, I'm the only one who went through, like, I'm the only one who did this in my twenties, like great job. We very much think that Kim and not, I would say not even just in our early twenties, but in anything in life that we are embarrassed of in ourselves Mm -hmm. or the mistakes that we make, uh, we very much think we're the only ones in it. And and these are the things people don't talk about. Mm -hmm. So as I started to get to a place where I knew I needed help. I started out in therapy and then I very much went on a spiritual seeking journey mm-hmm. where in that process, I learned ways to cope and manage. So I wasn't doing the same things. I got off the path of doing drugs and, and, and the path and journey I was on in my early twenties and all of that self-destruction. Yeah. What I didn't realize is that in my spiritual seeking journey, I was still destructing myself. Yeah. Um, and what did that look like? So, you know, yeah. I think people think when we go on this spiritual journey, yeah, because that was, and it's so interesting. It's like, uh, you think your journey is the only one that progresses like that. But as you talk, I'm like, oh my gosh, our journeys are a mirror image of each other, such yeah. a mirror image. And so my spiritual journey didn't start until into my thirties after therapy. Yep. Um, but it's interesting because I think there are self-sabotaging things that happen in, in therapy, in life coaching, in spiritual journeys. So can you, are you open to sharing a little bit with us about how you, you know, you think you've come out on the other side of something and then you're like, uh oh, I'm still sabotaging myself. Very much. That's actually how I defined my spiritual journey was self-sabotage. Here's why. When I started seeking on a spiritual journey, I did it all. I became a Reiki master. Mm -hmm. I became a certified yoga teacher. I taught meditation. So not only was I doing these things, Kim, for myself to try to find me and get myself and my life on track, I trained in all of them and became certified in all of them. And I opened the healing practice um, where people came to me for guidance, for healing, for answers. And, but that's exactly what I was doing on my spiritual journey. All the healers I saw, I went to astrologers, psychics, I studied shamanism. I did all of it. Well, you went deeper than I did. I went deep. I really did. And, and shamanism was actually my first intro into my spiritual path. Cause I had a, my best friend at the time went and she saw a shamanic healer and she told me about it. And she, I was frustrated with therapy. I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. I was tired Mm -hmm. of talking about Mm -hmm. my issues, feeling better for an hour and then like falling apart after. Yeah. And she suggested I try that. And then that just was a catapult into all of these other 
areas and in all of these other paths, what I couldn't see while I was in it. Mm-hmm. I was always looking for my answers outside of me, someone else to tell me who I was, what was wrong with me, what I needed to do, who I needed to be. Yes. But more so why it was such self-sabotage, why it was so destructive was on my spiritual path and the things I was learning. I was trying to become somebody more than Karen. I was trying to become like some supreme enlightened one. I was trying to become my higher self. I was trying to become um, anyone not really anyone other than me, but something more than me. I wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. It was like, this couldn't possibly be like who I am. That's, that's not who I want to connect with. Mm -hmm. I want to connect with that higher version of me. And so in the process, what I can see in hindsight is I was actually in the process of eliminating me and I couldn't see it. Yes, and I, at some point you decided that you weren't enough. Like the exactly. Karen that is sitting there in the flesh isn't yeah. worthy of continuing to sit there. So it's like out with her and creating a new, better version of her because then not only is that what you wanted, but you probably thought that was what other people wanted for you too. Oh, very much. Yeah. Very, very much. Um, I became who I thought I needed to be to fit into that culture. Mm-hmm. Um to make it look like I had it all together. Mm-hmm. I call it my spiritual facade. Yeah. I had this spiritual facade and it, it was to cover up to myself how empty I still felt on the mm-hmm. inside and to present to the world that I had it all together. Yeah. And in that, I felt like a fraud. Mm-hmm. I still felt incredibly insecure. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of anxiety. I felt like a little girl chopped in a woman's body. Mm -hmm. Um, No idea how to make decisions, completely overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. not fulfilled, and just continuing to seek the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, grasping and grasping and grasping until one day in my early 30s, I was 31, at the height of feeling like OS. Yeah. (laughs) It is is this all it's going to be? Like, is this going to be my life? Is this how I'm going to continue to feel? And I'm going to need to cover it up and pretend the rest of my life. That's that midlife or 30 something crisis that I hit. And then I was very fortunate to meet my mentors who were the first people to tell me looking for my answers outside of me was unnatural and unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And that my answers were actually in me, that I was the answer I had been searching for. They were also the first people, because this was another way of self-sabotage on my path and through therapy and and the different healers and modalities I was using. It was all about blame. Mm -hmm. It was all about what happened to me in my past, what happened in my upbringing, what did my parents do to me, past lives. Like everything was pointing the finger outside of me Mm -hmm. about why I was stuck, why I was unfulfilled, why I was overwhelmed, why I felt like I didn't know who I was and I was just getting more and more lost. 
my mentors were the first people in a very constructive way to tell me, Karen, you are the problem. Yes. You are the problem. And that's a good thing because then you are empowered to be the solution. Where you are in life as a 31-year-old woman is not because of your mom and dad. It's not because of your upbringing. It's not because of past relationships. It's not because of anything that's happened to you in your life. Where you are is because of you and your choices and decisions. Yeah. And it, it opened up this whole window. Like I thought I was really authentic yeah. and thought that I was being true to myself. They blew that apart or helped me blow that apart of that. Yeah, I was cool. actually very inauthentic and didn't know myself at all and had yeah. no idea how to be true to myself. So was that a hard pill to swallow? Because I had, when I was working with my life coach, when I, I, cause I left therapy and I tried, I did holistic things for a couple of years and I, I felt better doing the holistic things than I did with therapy. Cause like you, I was like, this is not working. I'm so sick of talking about this. I've had enough. And my therapist just wanted to medicate me. She just wanted to put me on anti-anxiety medication. Cause then I would have the stairs to climb out of the ditch instead of clawing my way out all the time. And I was like, I'll call my way out of the damn ditch every single day before I take medication. Cause I knew for me, the anxiety wasn't chemically, it wasn't anything like a chemical imbalance. It was, it was my own doing. It was my thoughts. It was my beliefs. It was the stories I was telling myself. It was all of those things. I didn't know about stories and stuff like that when I was in therapy, Right. but, but within me, I knew that the medicine wasn't going to help. And I was like, I'll claw, I'll climb out of the ditch every day. But it wasn't until, and I, I did holistic work. I became a Reiki master, all of those things. Um, but it wasn't until I started working with the coach where she was like, basically the same thing. Like Kim, you're playing the victim card mm-hmm. and your choices are what led you to hear. Yes. Your parents played a role in it. Yes. The abusive high school boyfriend played a role in it. She was like, but you played a role in all of those situations that was like a sucker punch in the stomach. So how did you, like, did you like ugly face cry when they said yeah. that to you? Or were you like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Let's fix it. Like, sure, on. sure. Well, I can say definitely in that experience when I put myself back and that was about eight years ago now, um, initially very much like you, it felt like a tough pill to swallow. And I used to say that a lot, even like in working with my clients, because obviously this is the path that I teach them and, and teaching them to take responsibility. And I used to teach it that way. And I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I used to actually say, I know this is a bitter pill to swallow. I know this is a hard pill to swallow. And now I don't do that anymore because I can see in hindsight Yes, it's a perspective shift. And in that first experience of seeing it that way, it can feel like a punch to the gut. But in hindsight, I'm like, no, it's not a tough pill to swallow because it's the only thing that actually leads to freedom. It's the only thing that leads to a solution. What I was doing to myself on my path of looking for answers outside of me, blaming and playing the victim card, um, really struggling with myself. That was like drinking poison every day. Mm-hmm. And, and the blame, there's a, a quote that I like, I believe it's a Buddha saying, I'm not for sure, um, but I didn't come up with it. That's what's most important to say. But 
there's a um, a saying that you know being angry, blaming, holding on to resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Yes. And that's what I was doing to myself. So that was so much harmful. I actually felt very freed when they told me I was the problem because it wasn't a secret to me. I, it was almost like I was craving somebody to tell me that because unknowingly I could manipulate my therapist. I can manipulate the healers and the people I was working with into my stories mm-hmm. and, and divert from who I was and the choices I was making. So it was almost like this big breath of fresh air to hear I was the problem and actually led me to really trust my mentors because I couldn't manipulate them mm-hmm. and I couldn't pull the same BS I could pull with my therapist or the healers I was seeing. And they were very direct with me. Um, which I needed. So I was hungry for that. Did my ego take a hit? Absolutely. Um, But that was, it was actually very relieving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Cause it's freeing. Cause then also too, you have this realization like, oh my gosh, if I've been the problem the whole time, then I don't have to like, I don't have to fix anything. Like I don't have to fix that person or that person or that person or that thing or that thing or that thing. I, I just have to work on myself. Just me. It does. It, it makes it so much simpler. So from that and meeting my mentors, I realized for myself, this isn't true for everyone. It's not actually true for all my clients. For me, my experience was everything I was doing in my old path was not being true to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, some people were like <gasps> gasping, like I quit doing yoga, like, cause it, it it wasn't actually me. And I was doing it because I thought that's what I needed to do. And that's what everybody else was doing that seemed like they had it figured out. But for me, I wasn't being true to myself. The shamanism, everything I was doing was a facade of who I thought I needed to be. Like I said, that's not the case for all the people that I work with. Sometimes by reconnecting with themselves, they find a deeper connection to those things. And it Mm -hmm. is true to them. That just wasn't my experience. So as I started to take this new path with my mentors of really learning how to be happy. And I can talk more about that. Um, but really learning how to be happy, how to take responsibility, what that means and actually how to do it, that it's not Mm -hmm. just the words. Yes. I know I'm responsible. That it's an actual process. Then, then I completely shut down my healing practice and because I couldn't do it anymore. I could not have people come to me for their answers when I knew that my answers were inside of me. Who was I to tell anybody what their answers were? Um, And I totally flipped how I worked with clients to train with my mentors and, and teach people how to be happy and specifically women and teaching women how to be happy um, and what that really means, why we are unhappy why we become so overwhelmed with life, why we are unfulfilled, why we feel lost, and then the solution to that. And and that's how I became the happiness mentor. Yeah, I love it. And so, and and that's where it's like, you and I are very similar in the way that we work with clients. I ask my clients a lot of questions. So they're actually the one I'm coming up with the answers because I don't walk in their shoes. I don't pay their bills. I don't live in their skin. So for me to tell them how to do or what to do, um, 
isn't going to work because it's not like I'm not them and they're not me. So, um, so I couldn't agree more with that approach. It's about having people finding the answer for themselves. And I think oftentimes we're told as a society that we don't know the answers within that we have to go to these quote unquote gurus or the experts um, because they know. And I think that perpetuates, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like that perpetuates our feeling of being lost even more so than we already do. It perpetuates our feelings of being unhappy because it's almost like a carrot is being dangled and there's, you'll never get that carrot. Mm -hmm. As long as you're looking to some quote unquote expert or guru or whatever, you'll never get it because it's always going to be without like just beyond your reach. Mm -hmm. You, you give your power away thinking that somebody else is going to have the magic answer or somebody else is going to be able to tell you who you are and what I have learned is that there, and I'm, I, what I have learned is there is a universal roadmap to yes. finding our happiness within. It's not what I teach doesn't have to be the only path or the right path. But what I have learned is that, it, and, and for your listeners as well, knowing your listeners are primarily moms, I'm not a mom, but I work with so many moms. I work um, I am married, so I work with a lot of married women, and a lot of them are moms. I also work with single women, um, women who don't have kids, women who aren't in a relationship or aren't married. And what I see across the board is that it doesn't matter if we're a mom mm -hmm. or not, whether we are a career woman, a business owner, or a stay-at-home mom, whether um, we're single and dating, or whether we're married that we all struggle with the same feelings and the same experience because what's happened is we've never learned how to actually be happy and feel good about ourselves. We've never learned how to connect with ourselves. Mm -hmm. Most importantly, what I have found about why as women, we feel so overwhelmed, so burned out. Like we don't have enough energy. We can't figure life out. We don't have enough um, to really make it through and to navigate is that we are really good at putting ourselves last. Yes. And we have never learned yes. how to put ourselves first. And we often believe that that is selfish and mm -hmm. can't do that. And it's all about service to others. That's really the path and the journey that I teach women of being happy, regardless of where you're coming from. Again, if you're a mom or not married or not in a career or a business, wherever you are in life, it really is irrelevant. The real issue at the, at the foundation of it is that everything we thought would make us happy in life <laughs> that we pursued <laughs> can never make us happy. <laughs> It doesn't make us happy. And so, but then we blame mm -hmm. that experience, like whether it's being a mom and, and the um, responsibility of having children or mm -hmm. the responsibility of having a business or being married, we project our own unhappiness onto that experience. And we think that's the problem. Yes. And in what I teach and that is a universal roadmap is that no, the problem is we've always put ourselves last and the pursuit of what we can get out here that we think will give us meaning, 
and fulfillment and happiness. And what we have to do is we have to learn to start to put ourselves first, which is really slowing down to check in with ourselves to know what we need, what we like, what we don't like, um, to make ourselves important and make ourselves a priority, not at the expense of your children or your husband or the people you love in your life, but actually to the benefit of them. Because if you're right, because if you're operating from an empty cup, from constantly putting everyone else before you, you become burnt out, you become empty. And then Mm -hmm. that's who the people in your life are getting. So when we put ourselves first and we actually slow down to do things that show us that we value ourselves, that we're important to us, then we have a full cup and we have a connection to ourselves and we feel good about who we are. And then that's who our kids, our husband, or the people in our lives get. And yes. it's a very simple, simple solution. It doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. Um, it's really simple. Yeah. And I think too, when we take the time to do that, the, cause it was hard, it's so hard for me at times to put myself first and make sure that my cup is full, but I have two daughters. So I, always play in my head is that I'm actually modeling for them what they need to do when they're an adult, whether they're married or single or working or, you know, corporate or running their own business or whatever the case may be, is that I'm modeling for them that they cannot put everyone first at the expense of themselves. So that's my motivator to make sure that I'm keeping my cup full. Because I want them to see like, okay, this is what it looks like. It doesn't always look perfect. (laughs) It's messy sometimes. But this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to say, okay, I am important and this is time that I need. Um, But plus two, I feel like if you are making that time for yourself, then it it shows other people that you value you. So then they value you and they respect you more as a person because they see that you're not a doormat that they can walk all over. Yeah. 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 We have a very difficult time saying no to people and and not wanting to hurt their feelings, but then they learn they to not respect us um, right. because we don't have any um, any boundaries or any backbone to be true to ourselves, and and then they get a false version of who we are. And when we can slow down and be intentional about the choices we're making, checking in with ourselves, not doing things as what I call a should what we think Mm -hmm. we're supposed to do or have to do. And we find kind ways to say no, to Mm -hmm. say, sorry, that's not going to work. Or, you know, let me, let me check in about that and I'll get back to you. No, that's not going to work. People actually learn to trust us because we're consistent Mm -hmm. and they respect us because like you said, they're not walking all over us. Yeah. And they know that you're not afraid to speak up for yourself. Um, so then it makes them think twice so like, oh, okay, well, I know in the past when I've asked this of her, uh, I didn't, it didn't go, like, I didn't get my way right away because she actually used her voice and she communicated with me. So um, let me think long and hard if I'm even going to go there. So I feel like sometimes it even eliminates mm-hmm. some of the drama or the stress or the frustration or the anxiety because people remember, they're like, oh yeah, she's a lady that doesn't around. Like she's a lady that puts herself first. So, so she's not an easy target. So I'm moving on, I'm going someplace else. And then you don't even have to deal with it because it's not even in your space. It's like, 
you put up like almost like this protective barrier around yourself that says, uh, it's like an automatic screening process, like a metal detector, like, okay, yep, that person can come through. Nope, beep, 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 beep. That person hasn't respected my boundaries in the past. Like they're automatically not allowed in. So, and it's not easy. It definitely takes practice um, to do it because it feels really super uncomfortable at first. Yeah, but when you, when we haven't been being true to ourselves and learning to do the things that make ourselves a priority that allow us to fill our cup and feel good about who we are, um, not overcommitting ourselves, not mm-hmm. filling our schedules completely. Uh, it is awkward. It is uncomfortable because yeah. it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable yeah. to say no. It's vulnerable to take time for ourselves. Most importantly, what I've found is it's vulnerable for us to even spend time with ourselves because yeah. we spend so much time running and being busy and avoiding ourselves that once we actually slow down, make time for ourselves and do something we enjoy to feel good about who we are, well, there we are. And we're often faced with those uncomfortable feelings in ourselves that we've been avoiding and running from. Uh, so it's a vulnerable, it is a vulnerable process. Yeah. And I think it's um, like self vulnerable too. Um, because then when you're alone by yourself, then you you're there with your own thoughts, you're there with your own feelings. And I think sometimes we um, are, are quick to put ourselves last because we don't want to deal like we don't want to think about the thoughts that are going to come swirling through our head, or we don't want to deal with the feelings or the emotions or the flashbacks or the memories or whatever. So it's easier to say, Oh, you need me here. I am. You need me here. I am. You need me here. I am. And it's just easier that way because it it keeps the shield up from ourselves. But plus two, I think when we pour into so many other people, then it kind of gives us that self-validation that we're looking for. Like, Oh my gosh, Kim, you're really amazing. Or, Oh my gosh, Karen, look at you. You're so, you know, we can do that for ourselves. Like I'm such a good mom. I just sacrificed myself. I'm angry and bitter and resentful, but I'm such a great mom because I just sacrificed myself for the 8,000th time and it's amazing. And so uh, when at the, at the, really what we should be doing is like, no, uh, where is their time for like the me in the moment mm-hmm. and being okay with those thoughts and acknowledging them, um, because they're part of the journey too. They are. That was another, that you saying that Kim reminds me of another piece of my spiritual journey that was so sabotaging of myself was always thinking I was supposed to get to this place where I only had positive feelings and everything was um, like sunshine and roses and unicorns all the time. Yeah. And in the process, right. And then in the, right, exactly. And in the, in the process of that, um, just completely stuffing and avoiding the difficult feelings, the negative feelings, the obstacles in life, what I've learned and, and what I teach on the path of being happy, that it's about embracing the obstacles. It's embracing the negative aspects of us that come up because that's how we grow and learn. It's not realistic to think we can get to this place where we have no negative emotions and all we feel is good things. That is actually putting yourself last. That's you yes. stuffing, snuffing yourself out not being real and honest with yourself and not dealing with the reality of you and your life. And that, and so then we do exactly what you said. We want to grab from other people to mm-hmm. validate us and fill us up and make us feel good. But then it's like, we're an empty cup with holes in it. And that doesn't last and it leaks out. And then we feel resentful, angry, bitter, burnt out, overwhelmed, 
out of control. And we think it's what's happening to us and the people in our lives, but it's actually the process of putting ourselves last that we feel that way. And, um, I took emotion, like micromanaging emotions and thoughts and feelings to like a whole nother level, because I tried to do it for my husband and my kids too. Oh, sure. You know, because it was like, I didn't want to feel it. Cause I was, you know, trying to process all the nonsense that, you know, came up in therapy. So it was like, I didn't want to feel any of it. Cause I felt, you know, awful enough. And I had this idea in my head, like if, if, if I'm miserable, and they're miserable and we're all miserable, then my kids are going to grow up with these awful memories. And the last thing I wanted was for them to have a childhood like I had. So I was like, everything has to be, we always have to smile. We always have to have fun. And we always have to get along. There can be no disagreements. There can be no bumps in the road. And so I was literally like the puppeteer and micromanaging conversations between my kids and micromanaging conversations between my husband and my kids, micromanaging the conversation between my kids and me, between my husband and me. And that in itself was exhausting, but it was also so stifling for them. Um, And it was almost essentially creating codependency in them, which is what I didn't want because I was codependent myself. So it was this whole crazy, vicious cycle. And, and the one thing that I took from the therapist that was really helpful is she was like, Kim, their childhood is not your childhood. So you trying to micromanage everyone is actually perpetuating what you're trying not to perpetuate. And that was kind of like, Oh oh my gosh, I didn't even see it that way. And so that was kind of the, one of the wake up calls that I had where it was like, release the white knuckled grip, Mm -hmm. release that because, um, you're making your hand, like you're making your muscles, like you're just exhausting everyone, just release it. And so that was freeing of itself. And I just had to trust that, um, my girls are going to be okay. My husband is going to be okay. I'm going to be okay because regardless, no one grows up with this picture perfect life, no matter how hard you try to orchestrate it, it doesn't exist. Well, and you don't, you don't want that because what I've learned and, and I would have had the same perspective and, and I've very much, you know, being married, try to micromanage my husband's feelings and him really from a selfish place of, I don't want to feel anything right. that's negative or down or have to deal with whatever's going on for you or how mm-hmm. that affects me. So it's not even coming from a place for looking out for him. But what I've learned is we don't want to make for our kids. We don't want to make the picturesque life and everything is great and just have it be for those listening and not on video. Like I'm drawing like a straight line in the air because that's not the reality of life. Right. The reality of life is there's curveballs every day. The unexpected is always happening. Things are always changing. So if we protect ourselves or our kids or others in our lives from that, we're actually doing them a disservice because we don't teach them to be resilient we yes. don't teach them to be adaptable, mm-hmm. to see the reality of life. And, and like your therapist said, then it backfires and does the exact thing that we don't yeah. want it to do when we think we're actually preventing something, we're actually creating that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so there's so many good nuggets here, but I know when I was on the journey early in, it felt overwhelming. Cause I was like, you know, miserable in the day-to-day existence miserable trying to keep everyone happy, including myself. And it was really hard to figure out those, like the starting point of like, what's one, like, what was one thing I could do to get through the day to make it the happiness journey easier to 
obtain or get on, you know, cause you're going to deviate from the path. You're not going to be happy 100% of the time. It's not realistic, but if you, you know, you're on the path and if you sidestep a little bit, how do you get back on the path? So, um, is there something that you can share with the listeners that if they feel overwhelmed with getting onto the happiness journey, mm-hmm. or they're there and they feel like they keep deviating and they're having a hard time getting back on the train, back on the wagon, um, what's something that they can do? Sure. So I think one thing that is really important that actually what I have found when we redefine what happiness is, it is possible to be happy all the time, long-term. And here's why I know that can seem like no way. Happiness isn't about a feeling, It's not an emotion. It's not the emotion of happy. And that's what we are constantly chasing on Mm -hmm. the journey of happiness is trying to get to this place where we feel happy. Mm -hmm. So when we read, this would be my one thing, Kim, we have to redefine what happiness actually is so that we can see it is possible. It is attainable. And it's a way of being and a state of being that you can live in when you have that roadmap. So the definition of happiness and how I know happiness is someone who is happy and what I teach others is happiness is about just wanting to be you and just wanting the life you have. Mm-hmm. Only wanting to be you and only wanting the life you have. It's a deep acceptance of yourself that comes from feeling good about who you are and ceasing to look for your meaning and purpose outside of you and becoming your own meaning and purpose to grow and learn through life, to become the best version of yourself. Yeah. So when we define it that way, it is possible. Yeah. And the tip is we have to know that we are unhappy. And how yes. we know that is we're constantly seeking the next thing that we think will make us happy. And that's the trap. That's the trap of unhappiness. So to get on the path of being happy and being on a happiness journey, you have to know that you're always looking for what you don't have. And that's a sign of being unhappy, not depressed, not feeling miserable all the mm-hmm. time. But then when we want what we don't have, That is the very experience of being unhappy because we're looking for it outside of ourselves. So if we can see that and know that we can know where we are on the map and then we can start to make that journey. And the best way to get there is learning how to put yourself first. Yes. Yes. And I think that makes so much sense because I know, um, there have been so many times in the past where I've been unhappy. And so the first one that popped into mind was, um, I always felt like a single mom, even though my husband and I are married, but my husband prior to the pandemic was in the office 12, 13 hour days. And so um, I'm home with the kids by myself and the dogs and the cat and trying to manage all the things. And when my uh, younger daughter started pre-K three, it was, you know, back to school time. And we had to go to school a few days early to drop off all the school supplies and meet the teacher and see the classroom. And I had two children to do this for. So I only had Casey's things, but 
the amount of stuff my girls go to private school. So the amount of things that we are required to bring in at the beginning of the school year is like, just bring the whole grocery store with you. The, all the, like the whole cleaning aisle, the whole paper products aisle. So like five boxes of tissues, four rolls of paper towel, hand sanitizer, Lysol wipes, baby wipes. I mean, glue, you name it, we had to bring it. And so there I am with this three-year-old, soon to be three-year-old, and she's crying because she's scared because she doesn't want to be there. Although she likes to go see big sister's classroom, but she didn't like seeing her own classroom. So I have this screaming kid. I'm trying to carry all these bags. And then I have a six-year-old in tow. And there are other parents were there. It was like the mom and the dad because the dad took time off of work. Mom had to take time off of work. Both grandparents were there. Some even had an auntie or an uncle there. And there I am trudging along by myself, screaming kid, six-year-old. And I just remember being so like angry, unhappy, miserable, the whole gamut, because no one was there to help me. I was trying to do it all by myself. And everybody was there with like these picture-perfect smiles, taking pictures with like, you know, the felt boards with the perfect letters. I had none of that. I was sweating, like makeup running down my face. No one said, hey, can I grab a bag for you? It was awful. And I, in that moment, I was so unhappy because I didn't have what I thought that I needed. But looking back, it was like, Kim, you were totally capable of carrying Casey and the bags. Like you were totally fine, fine. But it was like that perception of lack, like that perception of not having what the other moms had. Um, and their kids were smiling, of course. And I had the only kids screaming like a wild banshee. And so it was like this perception of lack, this perception of not having what others had. I felt so unhappy in the moment. And I kind of look back now and think, well, wow, that was a, like a missed opportunity to really be appreciative and grateful in the moment mm -hmm. that I didn't have to take off of work to take my daughter to back to school day. Like I just, I could go, like, I didn't have to answer to anyone. And I didn't have to rush back to work. And, you know, it could have been like this much more exciting, enjoyable experience, but I was so focused on what I didn't have that I was so unhappy in that moment. Yeah. 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 That's a great example of, of when we think we need something that we don't have. That's what we're constantly doing in the pursuit of everything in our lives. Um, yeah. And, and we can learn to go for goals, to go for things we want to accomplish, not from a place of thinking it's going to fill that lack or fill that need within us, but from a place of that's how I want to grow and learn. And this mm -hmm. is how the next step in me learning who I am and becoming the best version of myself, which is really the journey of being happy. Yes. I love it. So if anyone has questions, um, after listening to this episode, can they reach out to you via email, social media, uh, of course. Of course, they can reach out to me by email. It's info at karensites.com, which I know you'll probably put in the show notes. Yeah, um, so they can just one-stop shop, click the, click the link. Yep, yep, just click the link. Um, also, I have a free masterclass. If anyone is interested, you can email me. I would love to send it to you. So if you email me, I'll send it over. Uh, but it's how to be overwhelmed and gain control of your life. And in it, I very much teach what I teach on the path of being happy. So if that is something that you would like, I would love to share that with you and you can email me and I'll send it over. And you can also check me out at a happinesscourse.com or on Facebook at Karen Sites, the happiness mentor. Perfect. So don't worry. All those links will be right in the show <laughs> notes. So you don't have to go searching Facebook land. Just go right to the show notes, click the link, and you'll be able to get okay. directly to Karen. 
um, to learn more about her masterclass. It sounds amazing. And um, to connect with her and follow along with all of the things that she has to offer. So thank you so much, Karen, for joining us on this episode of One of a Kind You. It's been such a pleasure to chat. Thank you, Kim. It's been really nice to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, of course. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours and hours. Probably. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to tune into another episode of One of a Kind Do. If you found this episode helpful and you think a friend would benefit from listening, please feel free to share with a friend because the more the merrier. And also, um, if you loved this episode, please feel free to leave a review. I take the time to read all of the reviews to ensure that this episode continues to be a resource, a place of support and guidance for you, because let's face it, us moms and even us women, we got to stick together. So thank you so much for tuning into another episode of One of a Kind You, and I will see you next week.